Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks very much for tuning in. We have another important and interesting conversation on New York politics and government here on this episode. If you've missed any of our recent shows, we've had some great guests and conversations, including with Queensboro President Donovan Richards, public advocate Jamani Williams, and many others. We've talked about some important issues and themes like the state's troubled emergency rental assistance program and many topics of importance to the city's immigrant communities. That was with New York Immigration Coalition Executive Director Murad Awauda, and we've had many other great guests and conversations. You can find all of those at Max Politics wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. Also under that banner, we've been producing a pop-up podcast this year called Latino Vote 21, hosted by Eli Valentine, with some great guests, including uh, elected officials and candidates in this year's 2021 New York City elections, with that pop-up podcast dedicated to discussing Latino voters, Latino candidates, and the 2021 city elections. So you can find a lot in the Max Politics podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts. All right, today's show. One of the most important storylines in all of New York politics is the series of scandals and investigations involving Governor Andrew Cuomo, a third-term Democrat and the state's most powerful politician who's eyeing running for a fourth term in 2022. There is so much swirling around the governor. I wanted to have an episode here of the show where we try to get everyone caught up and reset the various scandals and investigations and discuss what we know, what we don't know, what's next, and try to really set the stage for what promises to be a very eventful rest of the summer, fall, and winter, and into 2022. When is it not eventful, I guess? But there's a lot coming to a head, it seems, related to the governor as he approaches another re-election year. There have been a lot of recent developments in these matters also that are important to highlight. And today I'm happy to be joined by two top journalists who've been breaking some of that news and reporting on these issues and covering the governor and state government very closely. And they're here to help us break it all down. So I'm happy to be joined by Marina Villeneuve, who is a reporter with the Associated Press covering New York state government and Luis Ferre Sidorni, who is a reporter with the New York Times working in the Metro section and regularly covering state government in particular and Governor Andrew Cuomo. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So let's try to give folks uh, a good recap, kind of reset of what's swirling around the governor. Um, the broad strokes, I'll try to give us some framing and guideposts here before we start to get into any of the weeds. Let's try to recap for people what the big picture is here and the many things swirling around the governor. If I leave something out, please feel free to jump in, or if, if something needs clarification or correction, please uh, let me know. And also, I want to be very clear with everybody, we're talking here on the afternoon of Friday, July 30th. Things are changing all the time, so there might be small pieces or big pieces of this that are a little bit outdated by the time folks are listening. So let's just make that very clear up front. We're trying to have a good broad discussion here, but things do change very quickly around these and many other political matters, of course. All right, so the scandals and investigations one by one. Luis, you've been covering uh, a lot the sexual misconduct allegations and investigation into the governor. What's the general framework of what's going on with that? How many entities are looking into it? Um, can you sort of reset that picture for us? Sure, so earlier this year, towards late February and early March, you we saw a series of allegations from former and current female aides uh, to the governor who accused him of a range of um, uh, allegations, including sexual harassment and sexual misconduct, which included, included um, unwanted kissing, touching, inappropriate comments, um, and an incident in which an unnamed aide said the governor groped her breast while they were alone in his um, executive mansion in Albany. Uh, those allegations, as we know, sparked uh, uh, outrage in Albany and forced uh, many Democrats and Republicans to call on the governor 
uh, to step down and resign. And in the midst of all that, it also prompted a series of investigations, uh, most prominently, uh, the one that is sort of on our radar right now is the one by the state attorney general, Letitia James, uh, who's also a Democrat. She hired two outside investigators, uh, June Kim, who's a former federal prosecutor, and Ann Clark, who's a well-known uh, employment lawyer. And for the past few months, they've been uh, looking into these uh, allegations. Um, they've been interviewing uh, the women and gathering testimony from them uh, and uh, under oath. They've subpoenaed state records. They've gathered text messages, emails, uh, all sorts of records from the governor's office. Uh, in the past few weeks, they interviewed the governor's uh, very loyal and very uh, tight inner circle, um, you know, his, his top senior advisors and, and close allies. Um, and earlier this month, they interviewed the governor himself for the first time um, under oath. Uh, for They sat him down for an hours-long interview. Um, and that was the first time they, they heard from him. Um, the fact that they interviewed the governor suggests that their investigation may be nearing its end. And at its, uh, at its conclusion, we're expecting uh, some sort of public report with their findings. Uh, the timing of that report uh, remains a bit unclear, though uh, people are anticipating it, it'll be sooner rather than later. And that, of course, has left you know Albany uh, in suspense. And it's a moment that everybody has been waiting for to see what the report says and sort of what it'll mean for the governor. Great. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. The sexual misconduct allegations against the governor also uh, at the center of a state assembly probe, uh, an impeachment proceeding uh, that is covering, uh, seems like a wide net. Uh, and, and let's come back to, to what the, we, we think or we know the assembly is looking at. Uh, Marina, anything you wanna add on what Luis said, or um, do you wanna give us uh, an overview? You've, you've, I think, been covering even more closely the scandal around nursing home deaths and reporting of those deaths, but anything you wanted to add to what was just said, or, or do you wanna, uh, give a, an overview of what we know on the nursing home situation. Right. So, yeah, the uh, federal prosecutors we know uh, in uh, Manhattan are looking, have been looking into how the Cuomo administration has uh, handled reporting on the number of deaths of nursing home residents because of COVID. Uh, there was uh, some acknowledgement from the Department of Justice last week that they aren't opening an investigation into how state-run or government-run nursing homes in New York have handled COVID, but that doesn't rule out any uh, on uh, investigations into the how the governor and his administration has handled COVID outbreaks at nursing homes or um, how privately-run nursing homes have handled uh, COVID outbreaks as well. So it's definitely a big uh, issue that remains pending and the assembly judiciary committee is also looking into that as well. But um, it seems like they are, the assembly sort of at this point kind of waiting to see what the attorney general comes out in regards to sexual harassment and potentially um, if federal prosecutors end up coming out with anything in regards to uh, nursing homes. And it seems like in both of these instances and, and even other uh, issues that are being looked at by various entities, there's the sort of initial set of allegations of, of certain behavior, certain decisions, certain actions. And then there has become the sort of secondary level of how those were handled or how information was uh, provided or not provided. Um, in the issue of the sexual harassment and misconduct allegations, there's questions around whether, you know, the governor's office uh, handled initial allegations the right way, whether they followed state law, for example. So there's a question of whether he broke state law or other workplace uh, laws and rules. And then there's questions around how allegations of him breaking those was handled, right, Luis? This is, this is, this is sort of there's a secondary level to, to a number of these where in the nursing homes, it's also about 
not just decisions that were made around sort of policy and healthcare, but then sort of questions around whether there was a hiding of, of numbers or undercounting of deaths and whether the administration was holding back information. Right. Absolutely. I think one thing to stress is that the investigation being led out of the attorney general's office into the sexual harassment claims is not just looking at the details of the allegations and not just looking at whether, you know, not, not just looking to corroborate them, um, but looking more broadly at the workplace culture in, in the governor's office, which some former staffers have described as uh, toxic, abusive, hostile, and also whether officials or even the governor himself uh, broke any laws or uh, state policies and how the sexual harassment allegations were handled. You have the instance of uh, Lindsay Boylan, who was the first woman to accuse the governor. She said that the governor gave her um, an unwanted kiss on the lips after a private meeting in his Manhattan office. Um, after she first tweeted out her allegation, we have uh, in December, we have reporting showing that people close to him, including staffers, began to uh, leak her personnel records and circulate an open letter uh, seeking to sort of um, uh, tarnish her reputation. And these were efforts that uh, her lawyer saw as uh, instances of retaliation. So investigators are looking at that, for example. And then you have the case of Charlotte Bennett, who was a former aide to the governor who said that um, uh, Mr. Cuomo um, propositioned her for sex while they were also alone in his office, but in, in Albany, and asked her all sorts of invasive personal questions, like whether she had sex with older men, for example. In that case, uh, there are questions about how the governor's top staffers uh, handled her complaint when she spoke up um, and whether they followed the proper state protocol by reporting it to the appropriate gover government office that should have conducted an investigation into her complaint. It's unclear whether uh, that happened. Charlotte Bennett's lawyer says it, it didn't happen and that uh, the Cuomo administration failed to properly uh, follow uh, state protocols there. So absolutely, I think, you know, it's, it's important uh, and when we're, you know, thinking about the, the upcoming report to, to note that it'll look more broadly at um, how, how all these allegations were, were handled by his office. And Marina, there's also been questions around whether the governor himself uh, took mandated, that followed mandated uh, trainings and took the mandated trainings that um, he had signed into law as requirements, right? Right. Uh, this week, actually, uh, AP, we got back a FOIL request from the governor's office uh, in which we received a copy of a 2019 mandatory training attestation form that shows um, the signature of Andrew Cuomo dated uh, October 2019, um, attesting that he had uh, attended the sexual harassment in the workplace training that's required each year. Um, we didn't receive anything for 2020. Um, it is definitely an open, um, a big point of criticism from accusers about uh, how the governor sort of describes sexual harassment in uh, his defense of himself in different press conferences where he's at times said that um, sexual harassment, it's not, you know, when someone's uncomfortable, but um, you know the accusers and different uh, advocacy groups that you know they point to the state's sexual harassment policy, which got broader under Cuomo, um, and which makes it pretty clear that sexual harassment is based on how the individual feels, even if the alleged perpetrator didn't intend to make anyone uncomfortable or didn't intend to sexually harass anyone necessarily. Mm -hmm. And what we're getting at a little bit here is, and we're, we're not going to go into every instance, but um, there, there are a couple of allegations that are, have been more 
explored, more high profile than others. We've named them uh, Lindsey Boylan, Charlotte Bennett, but there's a whole series of allegations that came out. I mean, the, 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 looking again back at, at that series of allegations that came over the course of many months, it's a fairly long list of women who encountered the governor in various ways who made allegations that span a number of different types of behavior um, and paint a picture, as Luis, I think you were getting at about the sort of some of the elements of the culture, whether there was a culture of, of grooming young women, allegations that the governor would would meet people, meet young women at political events and then tell his team to find a job for them. There, there's a lot more than just sort of a, 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 even two or three or even four isolated accusations, right? Right, absolutely. I think, you know, there's been, there were earlier this year, uh, several women who came forward. Uh, they ranged from former and current aides to people who, women who had happened to meet the governor at a wedding or at a hotel or during uh, a visit to their home after a, after a natural disaster. And, and they raised um, all sorts of, uh, you know, allegations of troubling behavior from the governor, uh, from, you know, an uh, unwanted kiss on the cheek to uh, the governor, uh, making moves on one of them um, while they were alone in, in, in a hotel room. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's important to note because as I said, uh, investigators, based on the questions we've heard they're, they're asking, it seems like they're looking to see whether there is, there is a trend here, whether there is a pattern of behavior from, from the governor. And as, as far as we know, they've, interviewed women who who have uh, described inst uncomfortable instances with the governor dating back to as far as 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So they, they've really cast a, a white a wide net um, while also keeping you know a spotlight on the governor's office itself and sort of how, how the environment there may or may not be conducive to to sexual harassment. So let's let's get mm -hmm. in, in in a moment. Let's get into how the governor has uh, defended himself and denied allegations and and at, at times, uh, as it was already alluded to, sort of changed some of how he's talked about uh, some of the allegations and the investigations. But before that, so so we're talking about um, the attorney general's office overseeing this examination of the governor's office, the administration, the governor himself, his behavior vis-a-vis uh, allegations of sexual harassment and other types of misconduct, including inappropriate touching and groping, um, to look more broadly at whether uh, there was retaliation, the culture, etc. There's also uh, entities looking at the question of how information around nursing home deaths was handled. Um, then there's also things related to several other topics. There's um, the governor's book deal and the COVID book that he wrote uh, and whether state employees and employees uh, of, the, of the executive branch were working on that book uh, and how that book might have related to reporting on nursing home uh, fatalities and nursing home policy. There's questions around whether a former top aide to the governor who was volunteering back on governor time, Larry Schwartz on, on government time was uh, exercising any pressure around COVID vaccine distribution uh, to sort of imply pressure around political support for the governor. There's questions around whether early on in COVID there was some testing uh, preference given to members of the governor's family, friends, allies, uh, sort of specials, uh, people that were considered special and had priority testing. And then there's uh, some questions around quality control around the Mario M. Cuomo bridge. Did I get everything? Is that, yeah. is that the full <laughs> list? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's yeah, when, when you pull it all together, Marina, it's a, it's a big list and there's different entities potentially looking at, at different things here. Right, it's just a very, very wide ranging investigation by the Assembly's Judiciary Committee at this point. It's hard to tell 
when anyone could actually get through all those documents. At this point, it's um, thousands of documents. They're, uh, they're, they've announced that they're going to be issuing subpoenas to compel documents and get sworn statements. Um, it seems at this point that the uh, Manhattan firm Davis Polk and Ward, Wardwell, they're really um, the ones who are kind of pouring over all of these records right now. But there are still some like pretty big questions that we don't know about the assembly impeachment probe because it's a pretty unprecedented and also b there's just not a lot of rules or guidelines for how this is going to play out. So uh, when it comes to what are what's ground for in, grounds for impeachments, um, that hasn't even been decided yet. There, there's no plans for public hearings. Um, it's a pretty closed door process at this moment. Um, even lawmakers on the committee, they are um, not really steeped into all the details of all these records that um, this law firm is going through. Um, and it does seem at this point that it all sort of is around the central question of whether the governor's uh, at all has abused his power in office to bolster his image whether that's by um, minimizing or and refusing to report how many people died of COVID-19 who were living in nursing homes for months until the AG's report came out, um, or and whether he uh, improperly used state resources or state sta uh, his staff to help him write and promote his uh, COVID-19 memoir. Mm -hmm. So, Luis, when we look at this larger picture, how do you frame for people sort of the position that the governor is in right now and, um, you know, this sort of political and uh, governmental moment that we find ourselves in? Um, how, you know, how do you capture sort of the moment we're at and and the sort of swirl around him and how he's facing it down? And um and then we'll get into some of the specifics about how he's been sort of responding and changing some of his tactics on this. Yeah, I think as you've laid out and Marina laid out, it's pretty clear this is a lot. This, I think, is uh, the largest number of scandals, crises, and investigations the governor has faced at any given point during his tenure. tenure. Uh, he's facing calls for his resignation. The White House has even weighed in. President Biden said that he was waiting to see how these investigations played out before um, uh, before giving his opinion on the matter. And this is all happening a year after Andrew Cuomo uh, garnered national popularity for being on TV every day, giving his COVID briefings, which really elevated his profile uh, in New York and 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 across the nation. And so. It's a the situation he's in now is uh, you know it's it's very different one from from sort of the uh, limelight he was enjoying uh, a few months back. Um, I do think that he is in a different position today than he was in early March when the allegations were first uh, coming up and Democrats, including you know Senator uh, Chuck Schumer, were. Uh, calling on him to resign. He's used these sort of intervening months while the investigations are playing out to recalibrate his political strategy to um, uh, and sort of um, improve his, his public image, right? He's uh, continued to hold news conferences uh, and, folk, and has focused them on the state's uh, vaccine rollout, the state's economic reopening, more recently on, on public safety, all issues he knows are important to voters that can get him uh, good headlines maybe. And he's trying to portray this sort of image of business as usual, that he's still in control, even though so many of the state's top officials have called on him to resign and have said that he's lost the capacity to lead. He's trying to, uh, to, 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 um, create an image image to, to sort of counter that. And to a certain extent, he's he's been effective. There, you know, there haven't been any new allegations in, in the last few months. And and he's used 
these months to shore up support among elected officials, especially black elected officials. Uh, he knows he needs the support from uh, uh, black community, especially in, in New York City, if he wants to run for a fourth term. And he's sort of stabilized some of his uh, polling numbers. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of everything that he's been uh, working on as, as we await the attorney uh, general report. And Marina, let's come back to how the governor has responded to the sexual misconduct allegations. Um, but on the on the nursing home issue, basically all along, that's been one where his his answers haven't really changed, right? I mean, what we've heard from the governor around whether it was the nursing home policy originally and the state health department order um, that wound up being rescinded, uh, you know, that that nursing homes virtually had to take. Uh, COVID positive patients, if they could, if they could care for them, um, all the way through the questions around reporting and the the undercounting of fatalities of nursing home residents, because the, the governor's administration wasn't counting those who passed in other uh, facilities like hospitals. The sort of response from the governor all along has been fairly consistent on that front. Am I am I right or wrong? The governor's definitely been very consistent when it comes to defending his administration's response to COVID in nursing homes. He has this very uh, controversial, now rescinded March 25th directive from uh, March 25th, 2020, which basically said that nursing homes couldn't um, refuse to admit patients just because they had COVID. He's pretty much always defended that as um, a measure that was at a time when there was a fear of a catastrophic surge in hospitalizations that could leave theoretically elderly people maybe stranded in ERs, or it could just leave uh, COVID patients, yeah, sort of languishing. Uh, and you know, at this point, um, the research that outside experts have done suggests that it's uh, it doesn't look like that March 25th policy was the main driver in uh, the huge tragedy of over 15,000 lives lost in nursing homes, long-term care facilities, but it still could have had some impact and his administration has not wanted to do any sort of investigation or release any data about whether that policy had some impact in some nursing homes. So that's definitely remains a point of contention among his critics and Republicans. Um, yeah, at this point- I, I, I've seen on, on that front, I mean, I've seen, I've seen people say who are even critics of the governor, if they had just sort of acknowledged, you know, this, these were very, very difficult times during the first massive wave of COVID and and there might have been mistakes that were made with that order, but we want to be fully transparent about what happened. We want to have a very full and accounting record of things. We want to let people look at things. We want to provide the right data and the right, you know, counting that a lot, a lot more would sort of, you know, be understood that 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 would feel like the governor and his team were really being sort of honest and open and transparent and trying to, you know, let themselves be held accountable with the understanding that these were very, very difficult decisions at the real height of the of the crisis. But we've seen a lot of them um, either trying to uh, sort of hide numbers or argue with the referees, so to speak, whether it's, you know, the attorney general or elsewhere. Right. 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 It's a lot of folks, you know, with who are observers and and experts um, sort of say, you know, just what you said is that nobody really would be sort of blaming anyone for just the fact that we had this unprecedented pandemic that had that really preys on the vulnerable. But there just seems to have been this effort from early in March and April when I remember asking at press conferences about how many nursing home residents had died. You know, early on there was. Um, evidence that the Department of Health was trying to use a pretty strict definition of, uh, of what counts as a uh, COVID death in order to, um, you know, potentially 
sort of minimize. Sort, sort of minimize. Mm -hmm. um, right. And they've sort of justified that by saying, well, um, you know, we need time to go back and look at the records and look at the data and we have to go back to the hospitals and nursing homes and we have to double check everything. But that's just definitely not something other states have been doing to the same extent. And it took um, the Cuomo administration months to release that data. And the governor has acknowledged that taking so long has sort of sort of created a void. Right. And that was finally released once the attorney general released her her report that showed a severe undercounting. Oh, you were going to say something, Luis. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear from the reporting from multiple media organizations now that the Cuomo administration had a pretty good grasp on on the death toll in nursing, the full death toll in nursing homes uh, last year. And had they been upfront about it, had the governor acknowledged the, the full extent when the press and 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 uh, elected officials were asking about it, it's pretty safe to say it, it would have maybe been a you know a, a negative a, a day of bad of negative news cycle um, of, of bad press and and he could have weathered it and and moved on. Uh, instead, now he has federal prosecutors looking at it. He has an assembly impeachment investigation looking at it, and it's just heightened uh, distrust among many people of of his administration and and transfer and the transparency. Um, right, the it, administration. It, the I mean, some response. of it, as Marina was explaining, you know, I was thinking back to when the governor eventually sort of gave this fairly infamous, um, you know, sort of diatribe about, um, you know. The people died in a hospital. They died in a nursing home. Who cares? They died, and you know that was came across to many as kind of callous the way he said it. But it also sort of contradicts the way they approached, uh, you know, some of the early uh, transparency and accounting. Is if it, if it wasn't you know so significant to them where people died and why, you know, they they would have been a little more forthcoming. I think it's very clear that the attention around that state health department order. Uh, you know, got them worried about how the fatality number among nursing home residents was going to look. And a lot of it became very consumed with, um, you know, what that, what that sort of public relations picture would look like. Marina, you've been reporting on this, though. This, this now goes even further than nursing home uh, tallies of fatalities. There's still an ongoing question around just the broader Cuomo administration approach to being sort of fully transparent and accounting for just the total number of COVID-related deaths in the state, correct? Right, yeah, the state's still um, putting out press releases every day that says the total death count is around 43,000 people, but the CDC figures show it's actually around 54,000, and that's based on death certificate data that the state sends to the CDC. Um, when I spoke to um, experts at the CDC, uh, you know, they, when Bob Anderson said that it was, you know, quite odd, this sort of discrepancy. And basically the state is not including uh, people who uh, died of COVID at homes, like at your private residences or um, in hospice, even if they had tested positive for COVID, those deaths aren't being counted. And they're also not counting any people who likely died of COVID as reported on a death certificate. Uh, and that's obviously, if you're gonna exclude those likely deaths, you're excluding a lot from the height of the pandemic when there wasn't a lot of testing. And if you're excluding um, uh, even confirmed deaths of people who die in homes and hospices and uh, group homes and jails, you are just going to be missing out on a lot of people as well. And I've uh, repeatedly sort of asked the state, the Department of Health and the governor to explain why they're using this. They're still using this lower count. I guess at the beginning of the pandemic, it was more sort of understandable. Um, but at this point, there just hasn't been any explanation why the administration keeps using this smaller death count total and it seems and it also extends to hospitalization data if you look at um, the HHS data about hospitalizations which the New York Times uses in their tracker as well it shows that uh, about a thousand people are in uh, hospitals right now in New York 
uh, with COVID-19 and the state's press release says around 600. And I'm trying to get an answer from the state about that, but uh, it, it, whether that's another indication that the state's only reporting sort of confirmed cases, um, it's unclear, but it, I, it's just not at all clear to me sort of the scientific justification or the public health justification for not uh, reporting the more accurate figure figures So that's an ongoing question mark, but that doesn't seem to that doesn't seem to be rising to the uh, to the height of being investigated by any entities. But it's sort of part of this bigger picture around questions related to transparency and so forth. Um, all right, in our in our last few minutes here, let's let's sort of come back to where we started, which is this series of sexual misconduct allegations. Luis, start us off in terms of how the governor has responded to these allegations. Um, there was uh, some initial uh, denials of, of Lindsey Boylan's initial allegations back in December. Uh, and then as things escalated, the, the governor wound up putting out some statements, made some statements at a press briefing really in, a, in an apologetic tone, but that has shifted some. Can you sort of take us through the arc of how the governor has, has responded to these allegations? Sure, when, when Lindsay Boylan lodged her allegations, the administration sort of uh, went out of their way to deny, try to deny and show evidence against each of her allegations by, for example, releasing you know, a schedule showing uh, who was on a government plane plane um, during a flight that, you know, Lindsey Boylan said the governor asked her uh, to play strip poker, for example. Um, a few days later, the New York Times reported Charlotte Bennett's allegation. And at that point, the governor um, issued a lengthy statement on the allegation without necessarily denying uh, her assertions. Um, and in the coming days, her allegation escalated calls for his resignation to the point where two things happened. He saw himself forced to authorize this state attorney general investigation that um, Letitia James would, was requesting to investigate the claims. And he also went on TV when, when um, in, in Albany and in, in the state capital and what's called the Red Room and gave what seemed like a heartfelt apology saying that he was embarrassed, saying that he was so sorry for making anyone feel uncomfortable. He didn't specifically uh, um, refer to Charlie Bennett's allegations, but he gave what seemed like, uh, you, you saw his voice crack, crack up at times, um, what seemed like a like an apology for for you know actions and behavior that he thought uh, other other made other people feel feel uncomfortable, but said that he had never uh, touched anyone inappropriately, which of course uh, uh, multiple women have have accused him of. Um, over the months, however, he has. Let me just pause. You, let me just pause yeah. you real quick because I'm I, I just just to underscore. I'm looking at a February twenty eighth. 2021 statement the governor issued saying in part, I now understand that my interactions may have been insensitive or too personal and that some of my comments given my position made others feel in ways I never intended. And going beyond that, right. uh, again, as you said, always saying that he never touched anyone inappropriately, never propositioned anybody, a number of denials but certainly somewhere in the realm of an apology about possibly right. going too right. far in some ways. And sorry, just to jump in, yeah, I think ahead. that was the same statement where he said that um, he had apologized. He, he was sorry if anything was misinterpreted as unwanted flirtation, mm -hmm. um, which is something that definitely lawyers for the woman who have brought up allegations against him are really pointing to um, as an example of uh, potential sexual harassment uh, and 
unwanted flirtation is an example of sexual harassment in the state's uh, sexual harassment policy documents as well. Right, an essential point. I mean, I may as well read a little bit more of the statement even prior to what I read. The governor said, again, this is in writing, this is put out in, in February. Uh, at work, I sometimes think I'm being playful and make jokes that I think are funny. Uh, I do on occasion tease people in what I think is a good natured way. I, you know, it, I mean, there he put he put a lot out there both in this statement and in, as you said, Luis, in a direct to camera apology um, that he seemed not to want to repeat since. But you were going to you were going to continue on that uh, on that theme. Right. I, I think since then, he's moved, his rhetoric has slowly uh, shifted uh, to sort of focus one on, on denying any wrongdoing, on denying that he did anything wrong. Um, that has been one part of his rhetoric, which we've seen evolve. Um, another aspect of it is that he and his aides have now begun to sort of find ways to discredit the investigation. Uh, one of his senior aides, Richard, Richard as a party, has tweeted on multiple occasions suggesting that Letitia James, who's a Democrat, has intentions to run for governor and therefore the investigation is politically motivated. Letitia James hasn't said that she intends to run for governor publicly, though a lot of her supporters and allies want her to and have said that. Um, and more recently, the governor has directly targeted one of the outside investigators, uh, June Kim, uh, a former federal prosecutor, close friend of Preet Bharara, who, uh, or, or worked with, at least worked with Preet Bharara, who uh, investigated uh, the governor um, during the shutdown of the Moreland Commission in 2014. And June Kim was involved in that investigation and also uh, in the preparation to prosecute um, Joseph Percoco, who was one of the governor's closest aides. And so Cuomo has been suggesting recently that due to June Kim's history of investigating him and his allies, he is not maybe not truly independent. Um, but I feel he hasn't gone as far as he might in his criticism of Kim. We might see him and his aides, frankly, um, go more aggressively after him and the investigation after the report is out. I think they've been sort of pulling their punches, punches and holding their tongue, even though, even while making these suggestions. The other day, uh, earlier this week, actually, Marina uh, pressed the governor on on his assertions that um, that Kim, you know, wasn't independent, um, an independent, a true independent investigator, and the governor didn't didn't explain his answer. He just said, you know, Google it, Google right. his name. Right, and um, I think yeah. it's oh, sorry, I, I yeah, I just think it's really key that the governor himself is unwilling to say which of the two prosecute which of the two investigators he has an issue with and why so um we can sort of guess that he might be referencing kim um but he's you know unwilling to say publicly which investigator he has an issue with and why um and it's definitely unclear just why he's sort of been bringing up this opposition now when at the time that they were uh announced by Letitia James there was sort of universal support for um uh for Kim and Clark so right the the um, the, the governor and his team both uh they, they tried not to originally just hand over a referral to Letitia James to lead an independent investigation, but they eventually did so and didn't raise any questions about her independence. This is someone that the, the governor even helped to get elected in, in, uh, in her first election to being attorney general. And then there were also no comments, unless correct me if I'm wrong, there were, there were, no, there were no comments or, or concerns raised by the governor's team about June Kim or, or any of the other investigators involved uh, for months. Right, I can only really find like one opinion article by a uh, written in the New York Daily News as any sort of criticism of um, Kim and Clark. And even then that it was a sort of 
kind of a vaguer article. And I think definitely, you know, you can maybe point to Kim's involvement, you know, work with Preparara, uh, but at the same time, the Moreland Commission investigation didn't bring any charges up against the governor. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, you know, interesting point as well. And just outpointing, it looks like the Times Union right now is reporting that um, the attorney for the woman who said that the governor groped her at the executive mansion um, uh, is willing to take a polygraph. So it looks like the Times Union has reached out to the governor and his attorney to see whether he, the governor would submit to an independent polygraph. But it definitely sort of just highlights that, uh, you know, these uh, are pretty serious allegations surrounding the governor for sure. And it's an open question what the AG report is going to look like if it's going to, uh, one of the things that Cuomo signed into law in terms of the sexual harassment law was getting rid of this sort of more severe and pervasive standard. So now sexual harassment cases in New York, um, it can, uh, behavior can be sexual harassment, even if it's not, uh, even if it's sort of, um, I guess, not necessarily severe, pervasive. So that's sort of a broader um, definition. So it'll be really interesting to see just what form. Mm. All right, in our last moments here, um, let's, let's sort of recap the moment we're in. We've given a lot of details here um, and, and sort of painted the picture of where we're at. The governor um, and everyone else in, in New York politics and even beyond are sort of waiting for the report that will be produced from the attorney general's investigation uh, led by these two uh, hired outside investigators. That is expected relatively soon, depending, we don't know. Uh, there is this ongoing assembly impeachment proceeding, which is moving fairly slowly. Um, there are other investigations that we mentioned, potentially from the Eastern District of New York and, and perhaps others. But um, in, our, in our last minute or two here, um, what are we watching for next other than the Attorney General's report and the um, Assembly impeachment proceedings, any other news out of investigations that might be happening? The governor is clearly lining himself up to sort of hit back against anything that comes out of these reports and investigations. He's raising money. He looks like he's going to try to run for a fourth term no matter what. That could change. Uh, what else, Luis Marino? Any other any other sort of final thoughts here about the moment we're at and what we're watching for? Yeah, yeah. well. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think definitely the governor has taken, apparently has had a hit in fundraising. He still has a very hefty war chest, but he raised about 2.3 million so far from like January to June. And that's, you know, obviously less than the 4 million he raised um, uh, in the second half of last year. Um, and he's also been taking a lot of, um, receiving a lot of criticism over the rollout of the rent relief program, as well as um, criticism from Senator Schumer this week. And the governor sort of hit back against him a little bit um, at a press conference this week, sort of talking about how New York officials, uh, New York congressional delegation hasn't gotten rid of the salt cap yet. Right, right. As, as for me, quite frankly, my focus is really on the attorney general report and its ramifications. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, what the substance of it will be. Will, will it corroborate uh, the existing allegations we know about? Will it have new allegations? Uh, will it make any recommendations of what, of what, if any actions should be taken against the governor? I'm looking at how the governor and his team will react to the uh, to to the findings, uh, and how how forcefully they're going to uh, push back. Um, and I think it's quite important to also uh, see how other elected officials are gonna are gonna take the report. Uh, there's a number of them who said they were waiting on the findings before weighing in, uh, including uh, President Biden. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what effect it has at, you know, at a, at a national uh, level, but, but of course at, at the state level and, and sort of what happens next after, after the report. Does, 
is there a, are there additional calls for his resignation if it's uh, if it's damning? Is there more pressure uh, in the assembly to use the report itself alone as a uh, as grounds for impeachment, which Speaker Carl Hasty has suggested might not be the right approach. He's insisted that the assembly investigation conclude before before considering impeachment. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's going to be a, a lot of political jockeying after this report comes out. Right. And it'll be really fascinating to sort of see if there are some things that are substantiated and some that are not. And if, you know, potentially if the governor sort of looks at it, it sort of points out and focuses on things that might have not be substantiated or if there are new allegations, definitely it'll be, you know, interesting to see what yeah, um, I'll just comes out. Yeah, and I'll just add in, in final, you know, thoughts. Uh, one of the things I'm most interested in is the both the the questions around whether certain allegations are able to be corroborated, or you know, if, if which ones are winding up being, uh, you know, the allegations remain, and here's the details, and then here's the governor's denial, and and he and his team are able to, as you just said, sort of use those instances to, you know, continue to say, uh, you know, people had different interpretations of the, of the same event. Um, but I'm really also interested in sort of the larger picture of the administration culture, the culture around the governor, questions around whether there were a lot of people sort of involved and potentially um, complicit in this in this sort of atmosphere of everything from bullying to grooming uh, and, you know, things I mentioned towards the top of our discussion about, you know, hiring people based on the governor, uh, you know, seeing them at a, an event or something and, and liking how they looked. I mean, these are the types of things that put all together could paint quite a picture, uh, a damning picture potentially, but we'll have to wait, wait and see. And then Luis, to your point, um, you know, about some of the punches being pulled so far, you know, I do think it'll be very interesting to see as the governor and his team sense that, that a report is really close to, to coming out whether we'll see some additional preemptive action in addition to the reaction once it is out. I think that'll be something very interesting to watch if we'll get some smoke signals from the governor and his team even before we know that a report is is imminent. So be watching, be watching for all that and more, but really appreciate both of you taking the time to try to break a lot of this down and explain it and recap it all because uh, things seem like they are going to start to to move even more quickly here on a lot of this. So Thank you both very, very much. Uh, Marina Villeneuve is a reporter with the Associated Press covering New York State government. Luis Ferre Sidorni is a reporter with the New York Times in the Metro section covering state government and the governor. Thank you both very much.